Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there. Before I launch into the content of this episode, I wanted to give you a heads up. Since October is Domestic Violence Month, I've invited some special guests to speak on this topic. Please be aware that we discuss details during these conversations that may be triggering for some folks. Hey there, everybody. I'm back. And today I have Agape Garcia here with me. And Agape is here to talk to us about what it's like to thrive beyond the trauma of domestic violence. And so I am just so incredibly excited to have you here, Agape. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. And I feel privileged. Thank you. I'm so glad. So you and I were talking a little bit before we jumped onto this, onto the, the recording about trauma and about how most people know at this point in time about the words PTSD, but you were talking about something else. Yes, uh, I'm referring to PTG. Um, PTG is post-traumatic growth and not a lot of people are familiar with it. And rightfully so. It you know, didn't come out until the early 90s. And what's interesting is that it was discovered by two psychologists, um, Dr. Tajetshi and Dr. Calhoun. And what, uh, what stuns me is that it has not been carried out. Why aren't other practitioners talking about it or looking more into it or, you know, educating their clients or, you know, just general population about it? It's, it's actually something that we can all do. It's something that, you know, is within us. I'm not saying that PTSD is not a real thing. It 100% is, you know, and like most things, it's phases that we go through. And with post-traumatic growth, it's where we emerge, where we emerge stronger and wiser from that particular traumatic event in our life. And, you know, from that, from that in, intelligence based on the experience, what do we do with that? What you do know? we do with that? Yeah. Right. And, you know, I believe that's where, you know, the the empathetic person comes in for sure. And also, you know, it, it gives us a sense. And when I say us, I mean, you know, people that have gone through that traumatic experience, we, all of us are affected differently. We respond differently. We're, you know, we receive it differently. The effects of it are all different, but what brings us all together is wanting to level up our coping skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So back to, you know, when you emerge from a, a traumatic situation, wiser and stronger, how do you cope with it within as well as be empathetic and help others? Right, there, right. There's right. a balance because you, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to put those triggers. You don't want to instill triggers, you know, when you're helping other people because they may not be where you are. They may be where you were. And then, you know, there's a, a cycle. And well, and you were speaking about something I saw recently um, about just even the idea of when we are speaking with other people, being trauma informed in the sense of understanding how talking about trauma, having these conversations can, it, it's so important to recognize the way, the way we understand growth and everything. Something you were saying, I was also thinking about with the stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross started with, that there's now people are talking about having an additional stage of grief, which is meaning. And the idea that once we come through these really intense experiences, there gets to be the point where we do have, we do find meaning. We do have the ability to make sense of things, that there are things that we can take away from this. But before we go sort of 
further down the down the path of talking about growth and talking about recovery on the other side of this and sort of like it's kind of like I feel like we've skipped to the end of the chapter and and we've got sort of the happy ending I'd love to talk about how did you get here like what and and like how does I mean I'm imagining that you obviously you're here you're somebody who's identifies as highly sensitive empathic kind of person so let's talk about the beginning of the journey. How did you find yourself in this situation? Like I found myself in the in this situation where I am clear of what post traumatic growth is, not because I was diagnosed with it or you know was was taught anything about it. This comes from actual like boots on the ground being in environments that were extremely traumatic in my personal life. I could, I, when I look back, I feel like it was like every single decade on the decade, you know, it's, it's pretty much, it's pretty insane. And, you know, what, what really helped me boost my personal growth and, you know, understanding around post-traumatic growth was, you know, after raising, after raising my kids, and, you know, I have to bounce around a little bit because this is a part of the story. So, you know, when my daughter was turning 24, 25, she was leaving the house and, you know, she said that she respected and loved me for the mom that I was that never left, that stood by her side, that fought, you know, the whole way through thick and thin, et cetera. And that the only thing that, you know, she really had a r very rough childhood about was me being unemotional, emotionally unavailable, not emotionally, like she can touch me, she can reach out and, and be right there with me because I'm there. But emotionally speaking, I was completely absent. And that started my journey of really understanding, you know, how to fix that emotional void or that emotional disconnect when you go through so much trauma in your life that you are constantly living in a survival mindset, which is, by the way, really, actually, it's natural. It's, it's, a, it's a natural response. What I learned, you know, in, in my journey of discovering all of these things, um, you know, it's, it's how long do you allow yourself to stay there, right? But, yes. but how do you measure that when you're in it? You don't know as well. And, you know, mental health is fairly new these days as well. It's definitely not anything that was around, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And, um, you know, just just having that desire to to fix what wasn't there, like I said, really helped me grow beyond what I thought I could because it was all mind over matter, mind over matters, extreme independence. I got this. I can do this. I cannot count on anybody. I cannot trust anybody. This is what we're doing. This is how it is. And that's just don't ask any questions, you know? And so that came from when I was eight months pregnant with my second child, you know, I had moved across country. I was over a thousand miles away from home. We were just, you know, settling in and I found, I found belongings of another woman while I was unpacking my stuff and I was eight months pregnant. And, you know, I, in complete disbelief, obviously I had just left everything. I was, you know, in college, I was working full time. I was, had a great support system, left family, friends, everything I knew my entire life. And he attacked me. He attacked me. He sat on my pregnant belly put his hand around my neck and closed fist punched me over and over again, accusing me of going through his belongings when I was asking about, you know, this other, this other woman's stuff. And my daughter heard, and I knew that she was, she, my daughter heard, she was at the top of the stairs and I, and I heard her little voice that I never heard before that scared voice, mom, mom. And it was at that moment that my brain registered, my daughter's going to come down here and see what's going on. I'm in this situation. I mean, I must have thought about this in point one second and my, the adrenaline just flung through my body and my feet hit the floor. My, 
hips thrusted up towards the ceiling. The guy rolled over the top of me. I popped up. I don't even know how ran around the couch. She was already at the bottom of the stairs. I grabbed her hand and we ran out just like that barefoot in the Mm. middle of the night, just like that. And I, I could not believe that this was my reality. I didn't even know what the laws were in the state, what to expect. I just, you know, pounded on the door of the first, you know, neighbor that had their light on, you know, I had to become a new mother and woman overnight. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And And so you were in a brand new state. You had left your entire support community and you just innocently happened to find evidence that your, that your, was he your husband at that point in time or no, not, no, just boyfriend. Yeah. So baby daddy. The baby yeah. daddy. Yeah, yeah we can say find, that. Yeah, my baby daddy. Your baby daddy. <laughs> yeah. So you so you find so you find this evidence that there's another woman involved and instead of <laughs> being reasonable and being like, Well, you're right, actually, he basically did the classic kind of abuser thing and turned it all on you. And so, but, but I'm just amazed at the, you know, like your resourcefulness and just like that piece of you heard your daughter's voice and you just like, you found that strength of the mama bear to get yourself out of that situation. So I guess, did you, was that like, sort of like, you know, done and dusted one, you know, like one strike you're out or was that the beginning of a journey with this person? So that was the first time that he was violent. Uh, We dated for quite some time. I would not have been comfortable leaving the state if I felt that there was anything like that. Um, You know, I met family, friends, coworkers. There was nothing that raised these flags to me, you know, and what was most disappointing was that I didn't smell it, see it, hear it, taste it because, you know, I'm, I'm from the hood. I, you know, left the hood to raise my, to raise my first child. You know, it took me five years to get out. I was a high school dropout as a sophomore. I was working, you know, working under the table, working, you know, whatever I needed to do to make sure that, you know, I was taking care of, you know, my responsibilities. And I knew when I had my daughter that I was not going to allow this, that type of violence or, what I grew up in, that was not going to be my daughter's story. That was not going to be my daughter's story. So for me to have left everything to, you know, be on my way to having my second child. And this is the story. I couldn't believe it. I was in complete disbelief. There were, I was just, it was more about how stupid was I? How could I not know? Why did I not see, you know, because that's why I, that's why I grew up in all that. Well, and as you were saying, you know, and I think that this is something that people don't, you know, from the outside looking in, I think a lot of people think that there's going to be red flags, that there's going to be signs, that there's going to be like that you're going to have this information. And I've had a number of really amazing conversations about the relationship between the empath and the narcissist and how the thing is that the relationship starts off good and that it doesn't it does not start off as like this complete dumpster fire that people are like, how the hell did she decide to do that? It starts off with this person where the empath feels all the love and the, and the adoration and the appreciation that's coming from the narcissist. The narcissist is loving the attention that they're getting from the empath. And it's a marriage made or a match made in heaven before it becomes anything else. And so I just really want to hold up the fact that you're saying that nothing, you know, nothing raised any flags for you. I totally, I mean, that just makes total sense to me, because I think that that is so much more common than we realize that there aren't necessarily the warning signs, especially if we are sort of younger and have less information. Right, exactly. And, you know, I eventually got to the place where, and let me talk about that for a second. I I knew, I knew that I was a victim and a lot of us stay in that, in that identity. When you realize that it was not your fault and that it wasn't something that you could have control over, that's when you shift from being a victim to understanding you were victimized. Okay. 
And then once you realize that you were victimized and you get through that, you know, those steps of grief and doubt and which is, you know, another thing we could get into later, you know, you, you realize where your boundaries are starting to build, what you're not, not so much what you want or what you, or where you're going, but so much of what you do not want and what you are not going to allow yourself to go or somewhere else or someone else to go with you. And, you know, with that, I also realized, you know, that I said, man, I felt like maybe I was just a checklist or a protocol. This is like, holy crap, waited until I was financially independent on him, waited until I was away from friends and family, waited until I did not have, you know, a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, waited till I had nothing of my own, waited till I was literally 100% independent, codependent, excuse me, codependent on him. And that took a while for me to, to recognize or even accept. And, you know, it's like, like you said, everything's so beautiful in, in, in the beginning, the courting and, you know, what we call the, sh the smooth talking and, and, you know, you're, you're blinded by the emotions. Well, and you're groomed as well. They're grooming yeah, Not you. even knowing. Not even knowing it. And, you know, the thing I've seen again and again is that, you know, the, the narcissist, I, and I'm sort of imagining I had asked you if, if, if there was sort of a, an aspect of narcissism in this, um, with, you know, and you sort of went, you kind of were like, yeah. But, you know, what's so fascinating to me is like, you've got the highly sensitive empathic person, and then you've got the, the perpetrator or the abuser who usually has some more nar narcissistic tendencies. And at first, it really just does look so good. But, you know, you come with this innocent, open heart, imagining that you're experiencing this person at face value. And they are grooming you. They are looking for, and as you said, it's like all of it was looking groovy. Everything was looking fine until your, all of your support structures, all of the systems, everything that had been in place that would have allowed you to exit, all of that had been pulled out. And that's when this behavior started. So, you know, so going back to that night, you're knocking on your neighbor's door. What, I mean, did you, did you, like, I'm imagining since this was sort of the very first incidence of violence that you, you did go back or was that like, no, never going back? Well, that was a, an extreme act of violence. It was a double attempted homicide. Um, before I even knew what the name was, you know, he tried to kill me and my baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and when it, when it came to that, you know, and because after I had my daughter, I, I promised that I would that that would not be her life. And here I am, you know, with that. No, I absolutely called the police. I had no I, I had no idea who that man was that just tried to kill me and his own his own unborn baby. Like, who am I if you are willing to do that to your own own baby? You know? Yeah. And so. Um, that was, that was it. The, um, you know, he was arrested that night. I, I did go back, you know, cause I had nowhere else to go. There is no such thing as going to a shelter at midnight and being accepted in, um, you know, and I barricaded the door and, you know, I spoke to my eight year old at the time and said, Hey, if you hear me say these words, I need you to jump out that window, jump on that porch, go down here, knock on that same door. This is what I need you to do. You know, and it wasn't in a it wasn't in a way that was so scary for her. It was it was really I can't explain how how that whole night went down. When I speak to my daughter, you know, today, she will tell you that so much is vague for her. A lot of things that I remember she doesn't, which I appreciate because then that makes me know inside that I did a good job separating the trauma and the drama you know, mine, you know, I helped, I did a good job separating that from her childhood. Yes. Yes. Well, and you were talking about, you know, that she was saying that the hardest thing for her was your sort of emotional distance. And I was thinking about, you know, one of the things I've heard so often with parents in particular is I don't have like, especially like after a tragic event or trauma, is, you know, I don't have, I've got kids, I don't have time to grieve. I've got 
other priorities. There are other things that I have to be doing. And interestingly, I've also really noticed that sometimes when we are really sensitive, we are really empathic, we really are emotional, that the other piece of it is that we we can sometimes appear to be pretty cold and shut down because we're trying to process so much information and we're trying to process so much intensity that it, you know, on the outside, it may look like, like we just might look kind of numb or disconnected. So. Absolutely. And I mean, just while you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, well, heck yeah, after that incident, you know, I had 47 days until my baby was going to be born. From that 47 days, I was able to talk the, you know, doctors into, you know, giving me a C-section early. So now my 47 days turned into 37 days. Within those 37 days, my daughter was going to be out of school within 15 days. Within those 15 days, I needed to make sure that my neighbors could like help me out while after school, they could take her to the pool so that I can repack my stuff and carry my stuff to the car, to the storage and make sure that I have this and make sure that I have that. And I mean, like every single second was accounted for, not a second was not accounted for. And the adrenaline was like 24 seven, no caffeine needed at all. And yeah, you know, that's my whole thing was like, when my daughter said that to me, I damn near had a heart attack. I was like, do you not understand the sacrifices, what it takes to protect and provide as a, as a solo ist? Like, I was not going to go back to where we came from, friends and family, mutual friends. and fa- Like, why would I do that? I'm not going to be stupid, you know? Um, so I really just had to start from scratch multiple times in order to, you know, provide and survive. And with those, with that mindset and with nobody else, no support system, no anything, literally for safety reasons, because it was that extreme, cutting yourself off from a lot of things and people. And you start to live in this, your your own little world, and it becomes very narrow. And it the laser focus for me, you know, became going back to work, not just, not just getting out of, you know, yes, I, I, I got my name off the lease, you know, thankfully, because I took the paperwork down to the the leasing office and whatnot. I ended up renting out, you know, a room for all three of us and, and, and studied and, you know, went to the County, stood in line for food stamps, you know, asked for assistance, asked for uh, you know, emergency shelter, all kinds of things. And, you know, it's a long line. It's a long wait. It's not there for you real time. You have to figure stuff out when with no friends, no family being new to the area, you know, and then obviously the neighborhood and the new neighbors knowing my drama, you know, it's like you have to get out and away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Mm. So to to have heard that from her, it was very devastating to me because I was the one that you know, defended and protected and was that mama bear all that time. And, you know, my mother abandoned me when I was three years old, I was a toddler. So my, my whole thing was, I will never abandon my children. I will never this, I will never that. And as much as I was protecting and providing, I did not realize that I was not emotionally feeding. I was not emotionally nurturing. I didn't know that. So it hurt me even more to even think that I instilled a emotional void in my daughter while I never left. I would never abandon you. I was here. I was here. So that just made me emotionally in my mind there. Right. But but, as you're speaking, I'm really thinking about, for one thing, just like the legacy of abuse and the legacy of trauma and how profoundly it affects things, even when we think we are like doing all the right things and that, you know, that we've managed to escape the cycle of violence. And, but what occurred to me was I was thinking, I wonder if your experience as a sensitive little girl, being around people who may not have been compartmentalizing their emotions and maybe being around people who had really big, intense, volatile emotions you were, I'm wondering if you were protecting your daughter from the sort of empathic overwhelm that I'm imagining your childhood was like. So like, if you were around people who were big, big drama emotions all the time, 
And you were experiencing that confusion and that bleed through as a very small, like absorbing their intensity as a very little girl. I don't know if this is making sense to you, but it may, it strikes me that, well, of course you would really try to protect her from the intensity, but, and especially like protect her from the impact of your trauma. Like if you know that you're internally, like you got, you know, you've got a storm brewing inside of you about all of this stuff. It makes complete sense to me that you're not, you're sort of shutting it down so that you're not passing along that distress to her. Well, yes and no. I would say that, you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was trying to protect her from like all the drama because in my childhood, I was not around a lot of drama in my childhood. I was learning how to live and survive as well. Because like I said, my mother left when I was three, my, my sister passed away also when I was three and she was two years old. And so my dad lost his wife and lost his baby girl all within a year's time. And then he's looking at me left with me. So his way of coping was checking the hell out. He worked third shift and he slept all damn day long. So now I'm with no siblings. I have no cousins. My mother left and I don't even know, you know, much of her family. Um, you know, I do have aunts, but they, you know, were younger than my dad and they went about their life and had no children. And so I was literally by myself, not even animals, like no pets. So I had to learn how to mow lawns, clean, clean houses, wash cars, pull weeds, deliver newspapers, watch a baby while a mom can cook or shower or something, you know, small bracket of time. So I can go to the store and get, you know, peanut butter and jelly or things that little girls need, you know? Right. Well, and where are you going to learn to be emotionally intimate if your experience is that you lose your mother and your sister and your father is just devastated and checked out? I mean, like, we don't necessarily learn how to be emotionally available for people or how to emotionally feed people if we didn't ever get fed ourselves. And here's, here's the kicker. As a child, I learned how to cope, right? I I did anything. I did everything that I knew how to do to avoid going home because there was nothing there for me. So, you know, I, I was at every single after school program available from, you know, little, little girl, like kindergarten and first grade, literally, you know, when they had crossing guards and you could walk to and from school without a problem. And then after my after school programs, I would go to the to the park where they had, you know, gymnastics or wood shop or different things that were for, you know, after school stuff. And I made a way and I found a way. And my emotional well-being was actually at the cemetery. The cemetery was closer to my school than where I lived. So I would go do homework at the cemetery. I would have my emotional bond there. You know, granted, when I would go to, you know, go to sleep, I would wake up my dad before I went to sleep so he could clock in at at time on time. And I would I would cry from being so, so quiet. It's loud. And then in the morning, I'm waking up to my alarm clock into an empty house that is so quiet. It's loud crying again. So freaking lonely. So, you know, I found ways to cope and fill that time and do, you know, different things. But it was all mental. There was not that emotional channel or me even knowing that it was a void and this is how I was coping with it. I didn't even know it back then. But then as an adult, of course, I'm thinking like, I'm so smart. I know so many things I can get through anything because I fought, you know, my whole way through life, being independent since a baby, (laughs) you know, only to be, you know, not smacked in the face, but, you know, really being told about myself. And when it comes from the people, I don't even want to say the people, your, your children that you love more than probably anything, you know, anybody, um, you know, that really, that will really make you look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, Agape, I am just, I'm so moved by your story and just like, I, what an incredible scrapper you are, you know, and I was thinking as you were talking about being in kindergarten, and I'm imagining if your dad's completely checked out, like you were probably signing yourself up for those programs, like, <laughs> like five year 
involved. <laughs> like, hey, I belong in this program. You know, and and when you say that, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even think you needed to sign anything back then. You just show up and it was there. It was at the park. It's a it's a community thing. This was before they were, you know, I guess charging for all that. Maybe that's what the city taxes, what's where the city taxes went. Right, right, right. But I love the fact that like so many children at that age would have had a mother or a father who would have sort of decided, like planned their schedule. And I love that you were so, you were so resourceful, even at the, you know, that you were like, that you were somebody who flourished. And I mean, it just, I love how it seems like you, you know, you were talking about sort of this theme of, you know, um, post-traumatic growth. And the idea of growing and in you're like the poster child for this in the sense that all of the things that you are doing and you have done, like the, the sounds like some of the worst traumatic experiences, you have grown from them, you have flourished from them. And I'm actually something you wrote about in um, that I, I wanted to ask you about, I wanted to hear more about it is you can move a million times, you will always live in your head. Tell me more. <laughs> when you go through things, when you were a victim and you realize you were victimized and all that, um, what I call a blanket of doubts, right? That keeps you so warm because it's wrapped around you so tight. You're questioning what you're doing, how you're doing it. You're questioning your judgment. You're questioning your intuition. You're questioning how you're feeling. And it's this change that you don't even realize that you're going through until you're so deep into it that all of a sudden it's this consuming mindset of questioning you and constantly thinking about problems instead of seeing beyond the problems but seeing solutions and then seeing beyond what you're going through right now, but knowing who you truly are based on where you come from and based on this situation, making you stronger and wiser. There are so many things that we go through in our mental and emotional battlefield is like what I like to call it, you know? And that's kind of where I went with my daughter with her upbringing is, you know, Mind over matter, you know, emotions not going to make decisions for you that's going to pan out in your favor. Doing that, you know, your emotions are blind, etc. And so learning emotional intelligence, learning emotional awareness, doing the work into understanding how voids, you know, come into play and how you respond to them and what you do about it and the ability to trust and give or want to even give and receive, you know, love, you know, it takes a while to understand that you can be balanced mentally and emotionally, that you can be safe and vulnerable at the same time, and that you can control your thoughts. When you are moving you're around, when you're moving around, like you said, the environment, the, you know, the, the, the job, the car, the house, the whatever. Yeah, you can move a million times, but you live in your head. It's where your thoughts are because your thoughts are, and the way that you talk to yourself are your affirmations, good and or bad. And once those affirmations are out there, you know, the definition of affirmations is that it's a true statement, what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. That what you're saying is true, that it's valid. So then that becomes your belief system. And so if you're believing something that is truly not of you, that's how you're talking. That's how you're walking. That's how you're responding. That's how you're reacting. And you, and then you're creating triggers for yourself. You're, you're, you're digging yourself deeper. So what I teach is how to basically how to check yourself, how to measure where your triggers live in your body. Those are emotions. They affect you. And then when you're triggered, you know, you, you, you bring this emotional awareness to the table and you're, you're at your highest place of authority at that moment, because it is right then and there that you have a decision if you're going to respond or react. And then 
and then and then deciding which way you're going to go. How are you going to go about that? And you could do that in a matter of five seconds. Really, it takes 90 seconds to get rid or to, to change through an emotion. But your mind moves at lightning speed. So it's really being able to identify that trigger and understand where you are emotionally while that, while you're being triggered so that you can be empowered to your highest point in how you conduct yourself at that moment. Mm, mm. I love, I often speak about the idea of responding instead of reacting. This is, this is one of the things that I think is so incredibly important. And you also spoke about, you know, making decisions based on like from a place of calmness and groundedness and logic as opposed to emotion. And I grew up in a situation, in a family where emotion, particularly with my mother, emotion kind of like trumped everything. And so a lot of things were based on emotion, not based on like taking the time to think about it. And I, you know, so it's sort of funny that your approach with your daughter was to really teach her to make choices, not necessarily based on emotion, because I sort of grew up in the opposite environment where almost everything was an emotional decision and an emotional choice and emotional response. Like emotions just really took up like way more space. And, and, and I, you know, and sort of that balance, but you're talking about finding our way towards emotional intelligence and being able to recognize what's going on emotionally, which I think is like that really is the difference between reacting to our emotions versus responding to our emotions. That's right. That's right. And you have to have emotional awareness to even apply emotional intelligence. Yes. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if with like your, your sort of your childhood and your experiences with this, you know, like with this second, you know, second baby on their way. Like if you, like, it sounds like you had had to be such a scrapper and had to just like, basically like keep on keeping on to be able to get through anything. I wonder, like, did you know what you were feeling? Did you like, how did you start to cultivate and develop your emotional intelligence? Okay. So that's a two part question. So, um, that night, you know, I was definitely, definitely just devastated, completely in tears. It just couldn't even wrap my head around reality. And I would say that, you know, that night was the worst, of course. And then there is no such thing as when the dust settles, when it's something like that, because it is lifelong. And, you know, I still have effects from it today. But, you know, I would say that in the in the beginning, yeah, I realized quickly that I did not have time to be in my emotions. I could not sit there and allow my emotions to trump anything because that was definitely going to cloud the clarity that I needed because this was my life and, you know, I have nothing and nobody and these not only, you know, do I have a eight year old, but now I'm going to have a brand new baby that, oh my gosh, the, the, the dependence that these children are on and I'm the one, you know, mm -hmm. so, so that is, um, definitely, like I said, that was a life changing night for me. Um, you know, and, and who I had to change into who I needed to become from that moment onward. Um, and when I quickly realized I would, if I had to put a number to it, I would say about a week, I had to realize that there was no time for that. And I, I had to shift my inner voice. I had to shift my talk, my talk to myself from why is this happening? I can't believe it. What, what are you going to do? Are you even going to be able to mother this baby? Or do you have to maybe give them up? Are you, does this, a, is this an adoptive situation? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? How are you going to do this? You know, do you have to separate the kids? I, yeah, so many things into it went from that into, 
you didn't come out here for this. There's a reason why you're here. You did not get this far in your life to not be able to make it. You did not raise your, your, your child to be eight years old. And as you know, independent as you have become, and you didn't work through your own stuff with your own mother and you didn't do this and you didn't do that for this to be here. You did not come all this way for this. You have got to pick it up and go forward because you've been through being abandoned. You've been through the worst years of high school. You've been through, you have a work ethic, you have this, you have that. So it had to, it had to really shift into, you know, what my tools are and how I can use them in order to survive because I had to realize where I came from, you know? And so, so the emotional, you know, growth, the actual growth, even though the PTG that I was going through was more reactive and mindset based because it was a, a combination of survival and desperation. Um, you know, when my kids got older, when my daughter was moving out, when I was told about myself being emotionally unavailable after I felt like I was everything, you know, that is where that laser focus that I applied those 20 some odd years to providing and protecting shifted into let me heal what I did while I was protecting and providing. Because even though I thought I was doing the right thing, I wasn't doing the, it the best way. And so my growth really spun out of control, you know, because at that time in my life, I had different resources, different means, different things available to me to thrive in that area. When I was, you know, younger and raising them, I didn't have the means financially or like or nothing. It wasn't even like nothing. You were just so, putting out fires. It's like, you don't have the luxury of <laughs> doing the emotional, the emotional healing necessarily, as you're just trying to, you know, keep your, you and your babies fed and just, keep things going. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I hate that it took her to leave the nest. I wish that, you know, she could have shared that prior to. Um, but at the same time, you know, the timing is everything and she knows her mother very well. And she probably, you know, felt that it would have maybe even been rejected. And I'm so proud of her for not fearing my response and, you know, take being vulnerable and safe at the same time. And we took that journey together and, you know, we have such a strong bond today and I have both of my kids blessing to share my story and talk about them because, you know, one year ago I was in a life-threatening accident that gave me a 1% chance of surviving and, you know, making it out of the hood, making it out of dodging bullets and the danger on the daily and making it out of surviving a double attempted homicide and making it, you know, 20 years, you know, whatever to, to be in something that I had no control over and to almost lose my life, you know, over that, I said, I don't, I don't want to keep my voice, you know, quiet. There's so many women that go through so much. The statistics show one out of three have experienced or gone through or is going through. And, you know, we, we don't talk enough about how we're coping and how we get beyond that time in our lives to be wiser, stronger, smarter, and to build and empower and give back to ourselves and, and our children. You know, the last time so many of us got together to make a difference was in the seventies and, you know, it's time. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, I'm just, your story is absolutely amazing. And I love, so it sounds like this um, very serious accident brought you, like, it sounds like you had sort of another up-leveling or another, like, like another level of a wake-up call in terms of like you sort of saying yes to the next level of what you're here to do. Uh, so, and uh, the next level of trauma in my life. Yes. Um, and I would, I would definitely say that this was a extreme different type of trauma because it was, it was definitely not a, oh my gosh, I need to survive. And I'm, you know, it, it, it wasn't that type of fight. It was more of, oh my gosh, what was I, what am I spared for? What, why was I spared? There has to be a purpose. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, yes, it was the same, I guess thoughts, but from a different perspective, which makes it 
opposite. <laughs> if you if you follow what I'm saying, you know, it was it was another life threatening experience. But one was, you know, having to save myself and my kids and me being the sole responsible person to, oh, my gosh, this is way bigger than me. I had no control over it. Why was I spared? Yes, yes. Well, and I, it's funny, you're saying why were you spared? Because I get this feeling like I can almost sense this sort of nugget of like, you have this mission, and that you are here on this planet to do something. And that event was kind of the thing that stripped away the veils or the the last bits of like, holding back, and just sort of was like, it's go time. Like, you know, I got this one life, I've got this one, and and I either do it or I don't do it. And I'm actually, I was really thinking like, you know, so why were you spared? What are you here to do? What is your mission? Well, and I strongly believe and have been walking in it ever since that, you know, again, I want to reach women that have gone through and are separated from that toxic environment, that toxic relationship, and are struggling to re-identify and realign themselves with their core and who they truly are. They do not have to go by or go through this by themselves. So many of us have gone through it and all it takes is for one person to bring it up and you will be amazed at how many people have so many stories of positive, empowering mindsets and things that work to share. It's not anything to be ashamed about. And I believe that once we're out of that situation and you know we, we were strong enough to leave it and not go back to that, you're on a mission to be your incredible self. And, you know, that's what, that's what my whole, um, banner, my whole, my whole product is it's, it's be your incredible self because you can, you absolutely can. As adults, we tend to ignore our intuition and we forget along the way who we are because of what we went through. And those things that we went through are chapters. It's not our book. And the whole point of living is to learn, live and learn, live and learn, live and learn, live and learn. You know, I just keep repeat, repeat and, and repeat what works and re and don't repeat what doesn't work, you know? And so be your incredible, be your incredible self is, is really to talk about realigning your mental and your emotional, you know, well-being. to have control over your triggers, to be, you know, to go through that journey of, of post-traumatic growth. I'm a certified high performance coach through Brendan Burchard. His coaching is 100% scientifically backed. So I use that as my foundation while I add my wisdom and boots on the ground of real life experience. And I'm also um, starting a nonprofit for real time victims. I am um, starting a nonprofit to help them relocate without having to leave all their belongings behind so they also can have a second chance. And mm. so I'm just waiting for my status from the IRS. And once I receive that, my program is available in Nevada. That is absolutely amazing. That is so wonderful. And I'm imagining that I'm recording this right now, but it will be airing a while out just because I'm recording my entire season at the moment. And so I'm wondering, I'm sort of hoping that by the time the show airs, that your nonprofit will actually be live and we'll be able to share that in the show notes. Wow. Well, I hope so too. It, it, it should be. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So maybe, I don't know when you plan to put this out there, but hopefully it could be at some day of in October. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, that sounds like a really interesting, I'll have to look at the schedule, but maybe what I'll do is actually we'll have this as a bonus, a bonus month. Usually I do a biweekly show, but I'm thinking this can be a bonus show that happens in October because this is such an incredibly important topic. It's just so, it's so, so vital. So Agape, I, I can't believe how quickly time is running by. I mean, we're almost at the top of the hour. If you were like, as to the, you know, to the women who are listening to this conversation and maybe some, you know, and, and like, or to any person who's listening to this conversation, whether they identify as male, female, or, or other, what, like, what advice 
I guess what advice do you give to somebody who's realizing that they're in the skids, that they're in like that they're in a situation that's not working for them? Like, like the people who are at that very beginning stage, like, I'm just thinking like, what advice do you have for people at different stages of this journey? Right. So, so my nonprofit is for real time victims and my be your incredible self is for people that are no longer in that environment. So for, for those people that are no longer in that relationship, in that environment that are, that are solid, that they are not going back now, no longer wishy-washy about it. Um, do not ignore, do not ignore your mindset. The, the cost of ignoring or neglecting your mindset is far beyond any price you'll pay for anything that's great in life. Your mind should be priority. Again, that's where you live. That's where your affirmations are. That's where your belief system is. You make decisions, you walk, you talk, you respond and you react based on what you believe, which is what you think. And so if you know that you are not talking to yourself in a manner that is who you are, do not neglect that. Confront it, work through it. And if it's bigger than you, it's okay. It's been bigger than all of us at some point in life. Do not feel like there's nowhere to go. There are places to go. Be Your Incredible Self is a great place to go. You know, um, it's, it's just really working on the control you have over yourself. Nobody knows you better than you. Nobody can control you but you. You have n- control over no one but you. So, I say, get started right away, you know, and I have, I'm sorry, I was going to say, I have mirror work. I have boot camps, I have, I have all kinds of tools and techniques that helps you. Well, and this is one of the things I was going to ask you is, so if somebody notices that they are, that their thoughts are, you know, just for lack of a better word, just total crap. Um, like what, what would be a first step that somebody could take towards changing their mindset towards changing their thoughts towards harnessing their thoughts and getting control over them. Sure. So the first thing that I would, you know, do is suggest that they define three words that are important to them. I'm going to give the words though, of course, that is, what is your definition of strong? What is your definition of strong? Mm-hmm. Smart and successful and successful. So what is your definition of strong? What is your definition of smart? And what is your definition of successful? And, and once you answer those words, those, once you define those words, because believe it or not, everybody has their own personal definition of what that is. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> if you are not walking in your own definition you are not aligned. You are triggered. You are walking in the opposite of what you're believing. There is already a huge nugget right there with three words and what you could start focusing on. And that focus will replace those negative conversations because you're shifting now from what it was to what are your personal definitions so you can start aligning yourself immediately? Start with one word a day. Look at yourself in the mirror. I do mirror work also. Do mirror work. Get get to a very solid relationship with that mirror. Don't be afraid to confront yourself and talk to yourself in a way that is to help you align and get your mind straight. So you can walk and meet that goal and meet that mindset on the daily. Mm, mm. So I'm curious, and we are definitely coming towards the top of the hour with this. So I'm wondering if you could give an example of with either strong, smart, or successful, what your own mind shift or your own awareness like of where you might have been misaligned and how you realigned. Was there... Definitely. So, you know, as smart as I thought I was in having that tight schedule, as smart as I thought I was in being, you know, every second accounted for having running a a tight ship, making sure that I was able to be responsible and et cetera, 
you know, again, just because I thought that was being smart, I realized that I was not being smart because I was creating voids in other areas. And so when you realize that your definition shifts, then you do something about that. Like I said, because it's, it's no longer aligned, right? Definitions may change if it, when it's, you know, when it's not a thing, right? A keyboard is always going to be a keyboard, but you know, success is something that will change. You know, the things that I was saying or self-care can be things that change. Those are like living words that, you know, are defined differently by different people. So, so when you are walking in your definition, you are already changing for the better because you are becoming stronger and wiser from that traumatic event in life. And, and, and traumatic events will change your definition to a lot of things, your outlook to life in general. It, it has a very rippling effect mentally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agape, I can't believe how fast this time has gone by. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Your story, I hope that my listeners are as inspired by your story and feel as much of a sense of hopefulness from your story as I do. Because, you know, it's sort of like, if you can do it, then we can do it. Like you, you've been through it and you are clearly radiant and shining and thriving. And so I just really want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, to share your story and to just be your beautiful, bright, shining, glorious self. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that feedback. You're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. So um, any last bits of advice that you've got for people and, and also how do we stay in touch with you? How do people, how do people find you? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, you can find me at be your incredible self.com and be your incredible self is spelled correctly. <laughs> and it's also the same on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the nonprofit is confronting domestic violence and, you know, some tips is, you know, for listeners that, that have experienced trauma in their life and are looking to level up their coping skills and, you know, be a better version of themselves, you know, being clear about who you're not is extremely important because once you're clear on who you're not, you're really able to start to see and define better of who you are and what you deserve and what you want in your life. And you can do it. You know, we are equipped with what it takes within ourselves to do and make the changes that we need for ourselves. If we don't do it for ourselves, nobody is going to do it for us. That old saying of, I could lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. You have to be committed to being that better version of yourself. It takes intention. It takes commitment. And once you start getting on that schedule and creating these daily habits, it becomes a conditioned positive behavior. You start understanding what positive intelligence is and you combine that with your emotional awareness, with your situational awareness, and you love who you are and the people that love you love who you are. And it's just an amazing journey that you can take. Post-traumatic growth is a real thing. And you don't have to try to figure out how to go through it by yourself. Mm. You're not alone. Mm. Thank you so much. And I really, really love how you've given us this reframe about trauma in terms of looking at it as post-traumatic growth, as opposed to just being stuck in that non, you know, sort of like a lifelong cycle of PTSD. It really has been just a delight to talk with you today, Agape. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you, everybody. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. 
In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.